0: Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast, presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who, along with Daryl Morey, co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. My name is Jonathan Chan, and I'm a Master of Business Analytics student at MIT Sloan. And I'm pleased to present our first panel. Game show theory: An omnibus conversation with Jeopardy goat Ken Jennings. Our panelists today include Ken Jennings, famous for his 74 win streak on Jeopardy, and recently crowned winner of Jeopardy Greatest of All Time edition, and Nate Silver, founder and editor of um, 538. The panel will run for 45 minutes, and will be followed by 10 minutes of Q&A. If you'd like to submit a question through Twitter, you can do so through the hashtag #JeopardyGoat. The, the, the questions with the most uh, mentions will be filtered through um, by by the panelists, and with that, I'll pass it off to Nate to kick it off. Cool. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's kind of early, actually. <laughs> I came from the West Coast. It's like 5.30 a.m. to me. Yeah. Um, we're going to try to have a good panel, though. It's kind of the classic, mostly me interviewing Ken, but a little bit of the reverse, too, and then we'll have some audience Q&A at the end. Um, I'm going to bring up uh the questions that i wrote for myself um but again thank you all for for coming out today i think it's going to be a lot of fun but um but um, by the way i'm a big fan i uh i grew up loving game shows me too um, yeah well i had a feeling what is your game show origin story like what were your what were your who were your guys growing up mate i mean there was like press your luck i'm 42 right so my peak game show age was like nine right so it's like press your luck there's like sale of the century, but there's also right. Jeopardy, and yeah, there's some obscure game show shit, you know?
1: I'm, I'm a couple years older than you, and yeah, I remember literally just being heartbroken on my first day of kindergarten when I realized, sure, I got to go to school, but I was gonna miss Hollywood Squares and Match Game and, and The Feud, you know, that was a very hard moment for me.
0: Are you surprised, I mean, are there are like fewer game shows per se now than there used to be, right? Is that true, or? We're in
1: a little mini spike now, I think and maybe I helped contribute a little bit, but, like, you know, ABC runs reruns of classic game shows in the summers on Friday nights, and they use the old-timey sets, so it's not flat-screen TVs. Like, on Pyramid, the little triangle thing actually spins around. So there's some nostalgia factor there. Okay. But, yes, I think, in general, game shows, they're 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 streaky, but they're in decline. Um,
0: so what was it like preparing for the GOAT tournament? Um, and, like, tell me, like, more generally, like, what is preparation like? And, I mean, if you want to walk people through, like, um, during the wind streak, like, how many episodes are you filming a day? What is your life like at that time? Are you going back and forth to tape? Are you permanently out? I guess it's in L.A.? It's in L.A. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the guiding principle here is that Jeopard- playing Jeopardy is nothing like watching it. Because, you know, watching Jeopardy, it seems like kind of a sedate polite experience. You know, you, you get the luxury of leaning back on your couch and yelling out an occasional answer <laughs> and, and feeling smart. You know, it's a funny show because people will get one or two right at home and be like, "Oh, well. yeah, I got one right today. It's, it's like an aspirational thing. It's like those interior design shows where the, it's a 10 million dollar home. But um, when you're actually there, it's a real crucible. You know, like you're, you're uh, there's almost nothing you can do to prepare for the pace of the game. Um, 61 questions in just 22 minutes of gameplay uh, means they just come at you so fast that you're pretty much just on muscle memory, you know? Mm-hmm. So preparation becomes really important. It's like, have I internalized this show so much so that even when my brain kind of shuts down under this barrage of Canadian-accented game show trivia, <laughs> like, can I keep up? Um, and so there is a lot of, like, what is that headspace like? Like, how do you, how do you prepare for that kind of a... and I don't know, a lot of it is just having watched the show and knowing the rhythms, knowing the rhythm of Alex's voice, knowing how soon people should buzz, um, knowing what you should be watching, the scores, what the next category is, are there still daily doubles out? There's
0: a lot of multitasking. So how much better do you get in the 74th appearance than the first?
1: A lot. I mean, there's a really strong home court advantage to that leftmost podium where the, you know, the the champion's podium. And it's because that person... So, like... Nobody knows if they're good on Jeopardy until they go on Jeopardy. Imagine watching a version of the Olympics where every single athlete is just taking up that sport for the first time as the cameras roll. You know, like some some, person filled out a questionnaire and they're like, oh, you might be a pole vaulter. Here's your pole, go on NBC. Like that's Jeopardy. None of these people have ever held the buzzer until that morning. Yeah. Um, And as a result, people are just scared shitless. Like it's, and rightly so. Um, And so the longer you're there, you're getting a little more comfortable Everybody, the, the, every day they bring in a truck full of new fresh meat for you. <laughs> and these people are just like you were a few weeks ago. They're just dazzled by the lights and the cameras and the stern host and the knowledge that 9 million people are going to watch every mistake they make. Whereas, you know, the champion is getting a little more comfortable every time. And it's kind
0: of becoming a workplace. Yeah, I'm trying to think about I've done comparable things. I mean, election nights um, <laughs> yeah. can, go, can go very fast, right? You know, they put you—they put me on TV now for some reason, right? We're trying to, like, blog about a lot of stuff. Yeah. For some reason. For some reason. Come on. But, like, they happen really fast. I mean, not like Iowa, because Iowa, like, literally still hasn't declared a winner yet officially. <laughs> but nights like Tuesday where you have 15 states voting, or obviously 50 states voting in November, um, they kind of happen fast. You have to think on your feet, and something always goes wrong, right? Some result breaks, or some model isn't working as it's supposed to, but, like, but, yeah, you have to react to the pressure. But, like, how... How much would you say, if you have to break down kind of where your value-added skill comes from, how much of it is in the following buckets? Um, bucket number one is trivia knowledge. Bucket number two is Jeopardy strategy, which I want to talk to you about a little bit more. Yeah. Bucket number three is literally just buzzer skills. And Bucket number four is psychology and kind of non-trivia preparation.
1: If you, so you're leaving out luck aside, which is a huge part of... Jeopardy success. Let's, we, let's take
0: that say. as a next question. So, leaving yeah, luck aside, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, honestly, the biggest bucket in practice turns out to be buzzer acumen, wow. and that's really because it's because it's not the price is right. If they were pulling random people off the street to play Jeopardy, it would be it would be eighty five 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 trivia eighty you know well, whatever it is eighty five 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 for trivia knowledge. But it's not. Everybody there has passed a very hard test to be there, so everybody's good at answering the Jeopardy canon of. Uh, Everything from particle physics to opera to the War of 1812. Yeah. Um, and in that arena, and the game is set up so that the, the show wants you to get the clues right. It's not good TV if people are making wrong guesses or staring dumbly at Alex. Questions are designed to, to guide you to the right answer. Nobody's trying to trick you on Jeopardy. And so most of the players know most of the answers most of the time. So it really is like who has figured out the buzzer. And the buzzer is famously tricky. You can't click as soon as you know it. You have to wait for Alex to finish reading the question. At that point, uh, somebody at the judges table flips a switch, activating your buzzer. If you buzz in early, you get locked out for a fraction of a second. Okay. If you yeah. buzz in late, you get beat. So there's this very narrow window. And uh, you can choose to watch a set of lights for your cue. I think most of the faster players go off the rhythm of Alex's voice. He finishes reading the clue, one syllable, go, go, go,
0: go, go. There's, a, there's kind of a fixed rhythm. But there's a person who like flips the switch?
1: It's a, hum- it's a totally human system. There is no way to...
0: Do you know if like, that person's out sick that day? <laughs> Does that change the rhythm? I, mean...
1: I do know the answer to this. They, in the rehearsal games, they used to use just kind of a separate person. Because the guy who works the switch is on the writer's staff. Uh, so, in the rehearsal game, they used to use a different guy, and the timing was off, and as a result, players would come in with even less real-game buzzer experience, and during my run, because I was kind of screwing up their, their game, they, they started to give new challengers better, more and better warm-up time, and that included uh, having the actual guy do the actual buzzer on me, because his timing is just so important to the
0: game, but you never see him. At, at what point... Did they? Because this was shortly after they even allowed you to go more than five times, Yeah, less right? than a year. At what point did they go from, oh, this is annoying, the same guy's winning every week, to like, oh, this is actually great for ratings and great for our brand? They
1: didn't know. Okay. Uh, this, was all kept, this was all kept totally insulated from the contestants. The contestants, by the way, are, there's a, a huge barricade separating you from any decision making on the show because of the scandals of the 50s. It's still a felony in America to rig a game show. People could go to jail if there was any kind of collusion or even appearance of collusion. So contestants are kept away from anybody who knows how the game is run, including Alex. You never see him until you come on stage. Um, but So I was kept totally far away from this world, but they were, I think, kind of terrified by what they had Done. They thought this would be fun. If they lifted the five game limit, maybe you'd get an occasional seven or an
0: eight. Yeah, yeah.
1: But within nine months, suddenly they have a 30 or 40 game winner, and it's all just on tape, because they're, they're three months out. So they have hours of me in the canon. They don't know if this is going to destroy the show when it airs. Uh, <laughs>
0: and I assume there were a lot of worried meetings. And so you can't talk to anyone about this? Are you sequestered or... Uh, it's not like Survivor. You're not on okay. an island or something. But, but I'm just yeah. saying if there's a quarantine in Seattle, <laughs> then you'll be prepared, right? But, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in effect, you are sequestered because you've signed an NDA saying you won't reveal what happened. In practice, they say, yeah, 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 tell your family. I told my wife because I didn't want to get divorced, and I told my boss because I didn't want to get fired. Yeah. So she would cover for me at work, and every, every month I would fly out to L.A. for 48 hours, win 10 shows and an increasingly crazy amount of money, and then fly back home and have to go to work the next day oh, yeah. and pretend I cared, you know, like. <laughs> go to the morning meeting and be like, hey, what's up? And it is kind of weird having a secret
0: identity. You see why Spider-Man is kind of messed up. It's <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was at my, uh, my last days at my consulting job. Um, so number one, I was starting to work on baseball stuff. Number two, I was playing online poker until like six in the morning. It's um, so like I literally didn't have any way to print anything for the last six months at my job. Uh, could email it to a friend and he could print it, but I was too lazy to like, actually update the printer settings but anyway um, before the i, I want to get back to that luck question first yeah. so what types of luck are there in a in a particular show of jeopardy it's
1: insane there's so much the contestant cannot control i mean really you can you can work on your buzzer acumen, but if somebody's a little faster than you that day that's almost like you know it's like a batter's swing there's, yep. there's you know there's, Some days they're just going to be bad days and some streaks might be bad streaks. So you can't control who's going to be fast on the buzzer that day. You can't control the spread of categories. You know, if you dread ballet, you might see ballet. Um, If you're really hoping for um, 90s action movies, you might see that, but you probably won't. Um, You certainly can't control where daily doubles will be on the board, who will find them, in which categories, or how hard they will be. Um, That's important when it's you making the wager and you're thinking, is this one of the hard kind or one of the easy kind? You can't control how hard Final Jeopardy's gonna be or what the category will be. And those things are kind of the crux of the game. Like, who's answering the the clues is very important, but that's a lot of this.
0: The Daily Double or Final
1: Jeopardy is
0: where the winner and loser is decided. How much are you studying categories that you expect yourself to be weak in? I mean, do you have to do that or is it more like, I'm a general trivia buff and like, okay. If ballet comes up, I'm screwed. But it's not worth that much marginal effort.
1: That's what you're thinking. You're right. It's it's a generalist game. Yeah. You know, I think the good players want to know a little bit about a lot of things, so that even if ballet comes up, you're like, well, Jeopardy knows the first few should be easy. I hope it's the three or four names everyone knows. You know, you want to have like a millimeter of knowledge that's a mile wide. Um, but there, there's stuff that's you know, comes up often enough that you'd be dumb not to, you know, there's great marginal value in knowing a few things. All the presidents in order, with their years, with their vice presidents, with their first ladies, with their uh, uh, opponents, with their home states, you know, there's no reason not to know that. World capitals, like those are the two lists, that's the most bang for your buck. And after that you can think, well, they only ask about 20 operas, maybe I should learn the operas. In my case, I don't drink, let me learn the 20 cocktails they ask about. Like, so I memorized how to mix cocktails. I can be a Mormon bartender now if that ever <laughs> comes up. Um, was sports a strength for you? Sports is a w- weaker category for me. There's, um, if anybody here plays bar trivia, I mean, in this room, you guys are probably all the sports trivia man or woman on your trivia team, you know, because every trivia team has, in general, like three kind of all-purpose um, nerds and then one sports person. Because that's such a that's such a trivia ghetto kind of like yeah no
0: it's it's a special it's a niche right um, sports is a weird micro universe right like you can I mean you know you can cover sports in as much depth as anything else right but you can also totally ignore them not that you should but you could if you wanted and like your life wouldn't be that materially affected by it. It's, it's,
1: a, it's a thing where like 20% of America knows an insane amount of knowledge and 80% of America kind of knows who LeBron is or something. Like <laughs> yeah. like, like there's a big gap between the, the experts and the lay people in sports. Um, so it's kind of a weak category, but Jeopardy knows that. And maybe you guys have seen the funny clips where people go 0 for 5 on like pretty easy NFL questions. Or have you Like when these go viral, I think Jeopardy kind of likes it and the contestants must just hate it because... <laughs> They're going to be recognized
0: at the mall as the guy who didn't know who Tom Landry was. And the categories are totally randomized. They're not thinking, okay, here are three people who all have backgrounds in medicine, so let's ask some really tough...
1: I am frequently asked if uh, contestants get a heads up as to what the categories will be, and no, that's not true. You see them when Alex reveals them by magically pointing at them, and they appear. Uh, A a certain number of games are written together, generally, uh, but then they are randomized by order on the day. This is again part of, there's an outside auditing agency that's enforcing the FTC game show regulations <laughs> here. And literally somebody has to be there watching as somebody draws which game material
0: will go in which day of the week that day. Um, what do you think about like James Holzhauer's strategy? I mean, I forget, it was long enough ago where I, I forget how much funky stuff you were doing with respect to like which clues you're picking and whatever else. Almost nothing. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, So Jeopardy is, like a lot of sports, um, an area where there was, for decades, almost no data and almost no analytics. People would kind of go on and play the way they did at home, uh, which meant a lot of bad decisions got made. People were wagering badly in Final Jeopardy, like just by easy mathematics, people were doing it wrong. Um, People were not didn't know what to study, people didn't know where to look for daily doubles. Um, occasionally somebody would bounce around, but it was more to keep their opponent uh, opponents kind of unbalanced than it was mm-hmm. to actually accomplish any in-game thing. It was just head games. It wasn't actually sabermetrics, you know? Um, but now, like, even since I've been on, when I was, uh, since I was on the show in 2004, there is now a database of hundreds of thousands of Jeopardy! games uh, clues, you know, just thousands of games that people routinely now use to prepare for the show. people It's the Moneyball era of Jeopardy. People going on Jeopardy today now will spend weeks drilling themselves on this stuff. Some write their own custom algorithms to, you know, pepper themselves with questions about the categories they want to practice. People will build home simulators with handheld buzzers so they can actually do kind of in-game training like flight simulator kind of stuff, which is nuts. Um, People will, uh, and somebody like James Holtzauer can develop a pet strategy about the game. You know, in the same way that some football GM might be like, we're going for it on fourth down more, or uh, an NBA GM says, you know, three-pointers are undervalued, or we're going to bunt more. You know, whatever the in-sports analogies are, players can try that out. And in James Holtzauer's case, he thought, what you want to do is win the game early, like put the game away in the first quarter. Like, you've got fresh meat coming off the truck every day, if you start at the bottom of the board, you can maybe knock out a huge lead and then double it with a daily double, and by the time the first commercial break hits, the other two have just mentally checked out <laughs> of the game. It's, it's shock and awe, really. Like, it's the illusion of, of dominance, and that's a genius strategy, and I never would have thought of it because I played the game like I would at home, and I think it helped me. Like, it, I, yeah. I was comfortable and it led to a
0: longer streak because I was doing my thing. Well, how much are you prioritizing how much do I win today versus right. just I want to win by $1 and prolong the street. Because James
1: is a poker guy,
0: and, right. and you know that world. Yeah. Like that's all yeah. about maximizing upside, yeah. right? And he's
1: thinking that way. Like, uh, if I have a good hand, I want my chips on the table. And it worked. Like, that guy had $120,000 games or something, which I would have thought like almost impossible. The fact that anybody could have 20 of those, two years ago I would have said, no, it can't be done. Um, on the other hand, like in my defense, I won more than twice as many games, and like even slightly edged him on cash, even though, because it turned out that there are other ways to maximize upside besides putting all your chips on the table.
0: I mean, there are fairly direct comparisons to poker, right? Where there are a lot of debates about like, um, how much volatility should you accept, right? What are your goals and objectives for the tournament? Um, and it kind of seems like players who are, quote-unquote, too conservative, actually sometimes hold up better than you would think. Is that true in poker? Are there people who... It, it, it's changing a little bit. I mean, it's hard to know because in poker, there is so much luck, especially in tournament poker, which is where kind of this conservative of strategy matters more that like, we never really get to the long run, let alone the medium run exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but I know like some poker players who are like, who are like I'm like, well, you should probably be pushing more marginal edges and, you know, nonetheless, they often not just outlast me, but do better than the more aggressive players in tournaments, But but I mean, I mean, there are also like intangible benefits to being on the show longer, right? I mean, so episodes were starting to air while you were still taping new ones, right? Or is there such a long delay that...
1: Around game 45, they took a break for a a season hiatus. And by the time I came back, my shows had started to air. And the backstage issue there is as soon as I showed up, for the first time... And this is the only time this has ever happened in the history of Jeopardy! Contestants were showing up and realizing they were going to have to play the champion who was also gonna be on TV that night. Somebody they had seen and probably disliked already. <laughs> and you could see people's faces just fall. Like, that's the only thing I ever did like the James Holtzauer shock and awe thing, was just walk in the room. Because you could see people be like, oh, you know? <laughs> I thought I'd outlasted him and that's I did That's funny. And a lot of people would take themselves out of the game before it even started. Like, the woman who beat me was not like that. She was very chipper and wanted to hang out and you know, she was not going to be cowed, and it, that's really, I think, what won it for her.
0: Um, I want to move on to other stuff, but before the very first show, I mean, how much of this preparation did did you do? I watched the show. I didn't have my own simulator at home, <laughs> but I, but I
1: kind of did. I had a very low-tech one. I started watching the show standing up, so I'd, like, stand behind my recliner at home, which was about the size of a, you know, about the height of a Jeopardy! podium, and I, I stole some toddler toy from my two-year-old, the Fisher-Price ring stacking toy with the colored donuts, and I took off the donuts, and it was about the, the diameter of a Jeopardy buzzer, and I would watch the show like that, and I would watch it back-to-back, because I thought, there is an athletic, we were talking about this backstage, there is kind of an athletic angle to Jeopardy, you know, you're going to have to play, they do five in a day, they do five in an afternoon, a full week, so after each show, you and Alex change your clothes, separate dressing rooms, and then... You come back out 10 minutes later and Alex says, now on yesterday's program, but he's lying. It wasn't yesterday. It was 10 minutes ago. Um, so there, there's something of a marathon to having to do that for an afternoon. It's tiring. And so I, did, you know, I would do that for weeks and my wife would keep score and she would tell me what my good categories were. And I did some primitive analytics. Like I there was, I, I found a season of Jeopardy! games online, some kind of eccentric woman was just putting them on her blog, which was a thing that still existed in 2004. (laughs) She was typing in the game every day. And I played enough Daily Doubles and Final Jeopardy's to know what my percentages were. And they were surprisingly high. I I was like, whoa, like, I mean, even if you watch the show today, 76% of Daily Doubles are correct. And my number is upward of that. And I was like, oh, well, you should bet pretty big, I think. You know, this was all new to me. But, you know, again, there was no, E- there was no math about this in the ether. I was kind of figuring out myself.
0: Have they made any changes, like change daily double placement in reaction to the analytics? They, I
1: think so. I think they're in the process of it, and I think they should do more because um, you can hack daily doubles. There's not. They are not placed randomly. A human physically looks at the game board, reads through some clues, sees what kind of a clue might be daily double friendly, and marks it. And you know, and they're trying to scatter them. But of course, you know, pseudo randomness. You know, attempted randomness is not actually random. No, for sure, yeah. You, you, this shows up in yeah. every field, yeah. you guys know this. And so when you look at hundreds of games, you can see the Daily Doubles are not distributed randomly by category. They tend to cluster on the fourth, third and fourth row. So if you're Daily Double hunting, you want to start with maybe four and then three. Weirdly, they are not distributed randomly left to right, yeah. either. The humans placing them have some kind of weird built-in bias such that you, you can look at a couple seasons worth of data and see, hey, this year, it's kind of been on the left, so, you know, and then you bang on your trash can and the uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the person knows where to look for the Daily Double, I guess, but um, yeah, so this, this could be hacked. I, I, recently, I've started to see a few in the top row and I'm thinking, that's just Jeopardy effing with you. Like, that's them knowing the people are starting to figure it out, and they're throwing curveballs.
0: But you said before that, like, there's an element in the way the questions are framed—an element of fairness, right? There's not trick questions. Yes, it's. Yeah.
1: I mean, Jeopardy clues are tricky in that they have wordplay and literary allusion, and you know, there's a lot of curve, you know, kind yeah. of verbal curveballs. But the main thing is they want you to get it right because otherwise the game fails. And I think that's an important element. That is, you asked about psychoanalysis, and you were probably talking about against your opponent. But honestly, the more important uh, psychoanalytical game going on on Jeopardy is between the player and the writer. Like you are playing against the clue. This information did not come out of a supercomputer or down from a mountain on tablets. A, a creative human had to write it. And so you're doing literary analysis on a very short poem and trying to figure out what am I meant to get out of this? What, what creative decisions went into this? Why was this fact included and not that one? What are the notable omissions? Um, why was it phrased this odd way? Is is something being circumvented? And so you're playing this game in real time, trying to think if I were writing that question,
0: right. what what answer would have led me to phrase it this way? Because you can sometimes intuit the answer for something which you don't really know, right? Just based on the way that yeah. There's a lot
1: of that. There's a lot of buzzing in because you know you're being guided to an answer, and the thing that appeared in your brain therefore is probably right, even if. And that's what drove me crazy about James Holtzauer was just sheer accuracy. That guy was maybe 98% accurate when he buzzed, which means he is not guessing. He knows all that stuff cold, which is terrifying.
0: (laughs) Do you ever... I mean, how often does your intuition make you say an answer that you kind of didn't want to say consciously, and how often was that right?
1: Um, I have watched myself on Jeopardy. I don't like to watch games, but occasionally if I'm watching with friends or whatever, I've, I've seen myself buzz in, and I'm like, I don't know the answer to this clue. What is this guy going to say? Yeah, And then that's funny. and then if I get it right, I'm like, whoa. You realize that in game you are heightened and you can sometimes if you're in a flow state, you can do things that that civilian can, could not do. On the other hand, sometimes you just, a, an answer appears in your brain and it seems so right that you buzz in and say it without doing some kind of heuristics on it. And then you realize you've just said something dumb. Like the other night, what, somebody, somebody implied that Joel, M, what, what, Joel M, what was his, Joel Embiid's nickname was, Duo process. 180. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he said his nickname, his nickname was Duo 180, which you know a moment's thought will reveal is not a possible nickname. Um, but I've done stuff like that because you know an answer jumps out at you, and then it's almost
0: like hard to avoid. Um, you briefly mentioned supercomputers. So, what was it like? When when was the match against Watson? Like 2011, I think. Yeah. Um, do you think were you impressed by Watson? I was impressed. I'm a computer
1: science major by training. I was a programmer at the time I was on Jeopardy. I'm like a writer now, but at the time I was programming. And I had taken AI classes, and I knew there were no question answering algorithms that could you know, answer kind of tech support questions, much less play Jeopardy. Again, with all the wordplay and, and, and you know, kind of the, the, the bag of tricks in a, in a Jeopardy clue, I knew that was a very hard problem set. For a for an AI for an algorithm to tackle, and so I thought, yeah, there's just no way I'll, I'll swoop in and, and defend carbon-based life against <laughs> against the evil IBM computer. I was a little overconfident. Um, so you thought you would win? Oh, I was I was convinced. Yeah. Like com- a computer cannot play Jeopardy. And then they started to send me tape. At one point, they sent me a graph showing. Um, I don't know if I can describe this in a way you can picture it. The horizontal axis is. Uh, um, Percentage of Jeopardy clues attempted by by a player, and the that's the horizontal axis, and the vertical axis is accuracy, so conversion of those. So you, and they put a scatter a scatter cloud at the top that they called the winners cloud. They plotted every Jeopardy champion in history, their their number of questions attempted versus their accuracy. And to win on Jeopardy, it turns out you have to you have to shoot about 50% of the time, and you have to hit about 80% of your shots. That's your average winner. And I watched this line of of uh, so the, and they had a line showing Watson performance. You know, if it, if it only had to try 20% of the questions, it would be right, like, 50% of the time. But then it got better and better. And if it tried, the more it tried, the less it did. But it, you could watch it kind of march upward toward human performance. And there was a little black cluster in the corner of the winner's cloud. And I was like, Why are, what are these other dots? And I turned to the page of the journal article, and it says the black dots are... 74-time Jeopardy champion Ken Jennings, <laughs> and I realized I was seeing me on the graph, and Watson is just kind of inexorably advancing toward <laughs> the thing that makes me a special little snowflake, you know. And uh, it turned out it, true in practice. By the time Watson was ready for
0: primetime, it was ready for primetime. So there is a basketball analogy here. We are at a sports panel, so high accuracy plus high volume, right? The James Harden. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I were, if you took like a random smart person from this room and they had internet access during a game of Jeopardy, how well would they do? How much would, how much would that matter? They would do fantastic. I mean, if, do they have time to do the search? No, they're playing in real time, right? They can search. They have their phone with them, right? Or a, or a laptop. The,
1: the timing is... It's, it's just going to depend on your typing speed, basically. If you're, if you're like a 90-word-per-minute typist, you can beat a Jeopardy champion with Google. The problem for a computer is that the computer can't Google. The computer has to... Yeah. Uh, The computer has to parse the clue, something that's child's play. You can look at a Jeopardy clue and think, oh, this is just asking for the capital of Slovenia. I will Google capital Slovenia. Whereas uh, the thing that's hard for a computer is to actually parse natural language and figure out what is this even asking? What words here are important? Um, Because computers are terrible at that.
0: And what were the rules for its ability to buzz in?
1: That was kind of the rub. It did have a, Jeopardy insisted that it have a mechanical thumb. So you could hear this little robotic click, 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 click next to you. Which was very unnerving. It sounded like Terminator was was coming for you or something. Um, but in practice, having to build a mechanical thumb was not a problem. at all Because the machine just got told. When the human f- turned on the lights, the computer also got fed a signal, basically. And, and it knew in real time, I need to buzz now. So the human players are kind of going off of rhythm, you know, like a whatever, like a, like a batter in baseball, you know? You're just yeah. trying to find your rhythm against a tricky pitcher, whereas the computer knew ex- computer's like a Houston Astro. It knew exactly where the ball was going to be when because <laughs> it's been fed an electric signal telling it, this is, this is when to swing. And it turned out humans do not have the reflexes of a, of a computer, if
0: you didn't know that. Um, we'll go to questions in about 10 minutes here, but I want to ask some questions about, like, what is life like for you after the wind streak. I mean what is it like, first of all, to be like someone who is um, well known for being smart, for being kind of nerdy? Like what's what's how's your life change at that point? Nerdy? <laughs> no, I I meant in a good
1: way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is nice to be here with Nate. It's it's rare that I'm the second nerdiest person on a <laughs> on an event. Stage. I'm below average for this for this conference, I'm like below average nerdiness. Um, it was a nice set of problems to have which is suddenly you're you have an enormous amount of goodwill, because everybody loves Jeopardy. The thing about America is that everybody loves Jeopardy because they remember watching it with Nana, or you know, you don't call dad during Jeopardy, or you remember you used to call dad from college and play along. It's a weird kind of multi-generational love affair that Jeopardy fans tend to have with the game. So nobody was like, hey, Jeopardy guy, you suck. Like people were, it was kind of a nice little fame niche to be in, to have your 15 minutes, and I didn't like my job. I was a terrible programmer, honestly. Like, and I was looking to do... I was having an early midlife crisis anyway. And this was a chance to think, okay, you have a little breathing room now because Jeopardy just wrote you a nice check. What do you actually want to do with your life? And that's kind of terrifying in a way. I mean, maybe this happened to you when you left your day job, but it is kind of terrifying in a way to think you can kind of do anything, at least for 10 years. What would that be? Um, in my case, I lucked into writing. I got a book deal, and that turned out to be what I wanted to do. Had you done much writing before? I was an English major in, okay. In, okay. in school, and then I kind of wimped out. My friend had an internet startup because it was 1999, and by law, everyone had an internet startup. And I went to work with him because I was like, I got a—I was engaged by the time I graduated. Needed to pay the bills. Um, I had vague plans to go back to get a PhD and teach Italian literature. You know, teach. Chaucer somewhere or something, and it never uh, happened, but it turned out to be a much better fit. That was
0: not the dream, go to a <laughs> liberal arts college somewhere and teach, teach Chaucer, but anyway. I mean, um, that,
1: that was the dream, yeah. and then I kind of went, I think I sold out a little too young, and I, the mistake in hindsight I made was like, the thing I was really passionate about, like, factual knowledge, like, I never tried to turn that into a niche, you know, I never had a guidance counselor say, oh, Ken, you like Pyramid, have you thought about being a professional ex-game show contestant, you know, and that's true, that's, that's, that's kind of weird advice, but
0: I really should have not taken that talent for granted. I mean, what? because in most fields, if you're good at something, you can keep doing that thing that you're good at, right? What are Je- the rules about, like, can you go on any game show you want? Or, I mean, maybe you could pull some strings or something, right? But Yeah,
1: Jeopardy's kind of one and done. I mean, occasionally they'll bring you back for super tournaments, yeah. and at this point, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I've had way more Jeopardy than I deserve, and I'm out for good. There is kind of the uh, thing about the person who gets banned from the casino, you know, because they're... They're too good at counting blackjack cards or whatever. Like, you know, when pe- when I, if I were to audition for a game show, people would know what they were going to get. And in some cases, it worked out in my favor. Like, I went on, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Because they thought that would be good publicity, especially if I lost, which I did. Uh, <laughs> it, it, on fifth grader, you're heavily incentivized not to take the last question because you risk half a million dollars, sight unseen, on a single trivia question. Um, So sometimes that works in your favor. But yeah, it's really hard to be a professional game show contestant. There's not a tournament every week. Are there such things then? Are there professional game show players? You're talking to maybe half of them in America? I mean...
0: Yeah.
1: Back in the day, I think, (laughs) people would make make the rounds. You sign a thing saying you won't do another show for 180 days previous and maybe 180 days subsequent or something. But there were people, back when a ton of game shows taped in New York and then L.A., there were people who would... You'd see them on password and then exactly six months later you'd see him on Pyramid and you could make a nice uh, side living doing it
0: and uh, not so much anymore. Um, what were some of the worst pitches that you got? Because right? I'm sure you got pitched to be spokesperson for all types of things and opportunities, right? And I'm talking a little bit about kind of when 538 blew up, right? Like people, first of all, they think you can, oh, you can predict anything even when you have no domain knowledge, right? But like what were some bad ideas?
1: What, what, what were you, your, I'm curious, what were your weirdest requests of like, work some, your magic, Nate Silver?
0: There was someone who wanted to turn me into like a Martha Stewart living brand, right? it was like <laughs> Nate Silver, everything. I will not say who that person was, right? Um, but now people would want you to come in and say, okay, well, we want you to predict, you know, astronomy, or we want you to predict the, you know, some election in some foreign country that you've never spent any time on, right? And kind of, I mean, although it's different because you really are someone who has to be like, has to be a generalist, right? Yeah. Because most of the time, I'd say, okay, well, specialization of knowledge is important. Um, and really drilling deep into something, and that like knowing something 80% of the way is not half as valuable as knowing it 95% of the way, but like this is kind of the, the counter argument to that, I would guess, right?
1: I got asked to do dumb reality show stuff, you know, like, um, what did I get offered? Like, a couple of months ago they asked me if I could sing. We want you to be one of the masked singers. <laughs> Spoilers, I will not be one of the masked singers. <laughs> Dancing with the Stars. Brad, the guy I played against in the last tournament, really wants to be The Bachelor at some point, so (laughs) fingers crossed for Brad. So mostly I was turning down that. I I got offered one life to live, and Jeopardy did not pass it along, and I missed my chance to be on a daytime soap, and I think that ship now may have sailed for me. Would you be a host ever? It's a pretty good gig. I mean, you have the answers in front of you. I mean, Alex is a genuinely smart guy. Like when he says, no, no, I think you were thinking of Henry VI. This was Henry VII. <laughs> Henry VII. I mean, obviously, he has a big piece of paper with the answers, but he's also a well-read guy who really knows that stuff. He's, you know, he, he's going off of his own. But it's a, it's a lot less stressful job to be the host, and I think now that I've hung it up, I guess there's probably some sports analogy to becoming a booth guy, or maybe,
0: what's the better analogy here, booth guy or coach? I don't even know. I guess a coach, right? I guess. Yeah, booth guy is, booth guy is easier in some ways, I think. It's a more natural transition. I don't know.
1: The host has to do both. That's the hard thing about being a game show host. You think it's an easy job, and really, that person, imagine a sports scenario where the person is calling the game and he's the referee. Like, you know, he's, he's uh, calling out on TV and he's the on-field referee. The host has a tough job, and Alex makes it look very easy. I don't envy the next person who has to do that job.
0: I assume you've kind of kept in touch with Alex throughout his diagnosis, and
1: yeah. He's doing well, I think. He, um, I went to see him uh, right before our tournament. I just went to a taping just so I could check in and see how he was holding up. And, you know, he has good days and bad days, but, you know, even when he's not feeling great, like, as soon as the announcer says his name and the music kicks in, I've seen him backstage go from, like, I'm having a bad day, Ken, and then as soon as they say the, star, the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek, he can just, like, walk on because he's, he's done it so many times. Um, and I think it's the place where he still feels comfortable. You know? like, that's the place where he doesn't have stage four cancer is on, on Jeopardy. And he was really touched by, he got hundreds of thousands of notes. You would not believe the, the mailbags that came in. And he, he said, I think, Ken, most people don't see this until after they're gone. You know, I was very lucky. I still got to be here when people told me that I meant something to them. He, he didn't know how important he was to, to the people who have been watching him at 7.30 for 40 years. People feel like he's part of their family.
0: Um, I'll ask this last question, then we'll go to Q&A.
1: So is Jeopardy a sport? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to offend the room either way here. Uh, what's more offensive, a, a overly broad a definition of sport or a too narrow one? I mean, there are not
0: that many athletes in the room. I'll point that <laughs> out. <laughs> There's some.
1: There is a physical component to Jeopardy. Like, I, I, I see chess covered on yeah. ESPN. I see poker covered. and those have. You were saying poker does have a, there's a kind of a stamina to it, right? Yeah, I think, I think it,
0: right? alertness and stamina, right? I mean, first of all, there is a physicality to poker, right? You're making reads on other players, right? But, like, but poker is difficult because it's a lot of boredom. It's different than Jeopardy. A lot of boredom, like, poker for the most part, nine-handed poker, is really quite dull. <laughs> but then you'll have all of a sudden, randomly, every hour or so, a moment where all your chips are on the line, you have to make a good decision, right? And so kind of alertness is important. It's the um, metaphorical stagecoach ride, hours of boredom punctuated by minutes of panic. That's what, I mean, it's like, that's the fun. I mean, if you had, like, you know, Pot Limit Omaha, where there's more action, but like poker is, it's not rapid fire, right? But then you have I mean, moments of intense concentration where your pulse rises, right? You also, like, you want to avoid adrenal responses where you actually give away tells and stuff like that. So there's,
1: the, yeah, I guess yeah. the physical control of tells is something that is less important on Jeopardy, although I, there's kind of a game face. Jeopardy does have a legitimate claim to sporting because of the reflexes of the buzzer. I mean, the thumb is part of the body. It's not, you know, it's not a rotator cuff, but it's a, a part of your body is doing physical work in a fine-tuned reflex-honed way. It's not, it's not a test of strength but then neither are a lot of sports. Neither is curling, I assume. Um, well, I mean, I
0: love curling. Yeah. I love curling too, but I don't think... Uh, I don't I, I'm, I'm not sure that saying Jeopardy is as physical as curling is necessarily the best way to... You know. <laughs> curling is hard. I actually tried real curling last fall. We had a curling panel last year. I wasn't on it, but like, curling is freaking pretty hard. So, But there are examples of sports where strength
1: is not the number one That's true. thing, right? Yeah. The thing I've noticed about Jeopardy is that sports writers cover it correctly, and entertainment writers do not. That's what, this is my argument for why it's a sport, because when TV writers write about Jeopardy, they understand it as a TV show, and that is not right. It has to be entertaining, but that's a symptom of Jeopardy-ness. What Jeopardy actually is, is the competition between the three people, and Alex gets that, and sports writers get that, and a lot of viewers do not. So I think, yes, it's a
0: sport, that's my ruling. Um, Okay, I think I actually have the wrong set of questions up. They're from, they're from a different panel. Please ask me every wrong question. This, this is going to be good. Okay. With coronavirus spreading, <laughs> <laughs> how are venues thinking about fan safety? Okay,
1: there we go. Well, Nate, in my experience, <laughs> I did just fly in
0: from Seattle. There will be no meet and greet after this panel, uh, in your interest. Um, what do you think about, at the, at the end of the show, while the credits are, are rolling, or what do you talk about with other contestants? Is that purely like... That's a funny moment. So if you, do people
1: here watch Jeopardy? I guess I should ask this at the start. They're, people are generally familiar with the show, right? So after the game is over, uh, the three contestants and Alex, they used to stand downstage in my day, and I think now they just stay at the podiums. So you really don't have to wear pants on Jeopardy now, because you just stay behind the, the lecterns at all times. And it's a very awkward conversation, in my experience, because. Two of you are just shell-shocked. Losing on Jeopardy is so hard because it's everybody's favorite show. Like, I still have survivor's guilt about the 148 (laughs) people whose day I just ruined because it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and I I screwed it up for them. So two of you are just grieving, like literally uh, going through um, Kubler-Ross stages. One of you has just realized that he or she is about to have to come back and do it all again in, like, 10 minutes, and you're like, wait, I just left it all on the field, and we're going to go... We're going to go again, and maybe four more times. And then the fourth one of you is a game show host who probably has Lakers tickets and just wants to get out of there. (laughs) So it's kind of a, you know, Alex generally leads it up, and he'll try to say, you know, he'll just talk about the game, like, you know, oh, that was a very tough final. I I see why you wagered a lot, you know, that kind of stuff. But then as soon as the cameras are off, he
0: doesn't care. He's out of there. And then it's it's all for TV. for Final Jeopardy or for Daily Doubles, for that matter, how much are you wagering based on the overall moment in the game versus your confidence in the category?
1: Category is pretty small. I mean, they, so a few things go into the algorithm. Like, how high it is on the board is actually very important. They will put easier Daily Doubles higher oh, I
0: realize. Route, for example. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: So if a Daily Double is in the second row, it's going to be easier than a fifth row one. And, of course, you know, even a generalist is... Like, I'm better at, at movies and... Uh, Literature and 80s pro wrestling than I am at things I'm not that into, country music or ice hockey or uh, uh, botany, you know, gardening, for example. So there is some level of uh, this is, you know, this is uh, this is 18th century literature. I'm, I'm probably going to know this. Um, most of it is what you need to do at that moment in the game, though. You kind of treat the daily doubles as a general chance to, as I said, you know, average about a 73%. Our conversion and the other two players don't get it. So you really want to put the game away with the daily doubles. Waiting till Final Jeopardy is a fool's errand because much lower conversion, about 47% this season, and everybody's playing. The daily double is a special little bonus for you, the special boy, and you need to treat it like that.
0: Like you need to take advantage of that hand. Are daily double clues written differently then? I mean,
1: they're not, they are written and then selected as the daily double, but okay. often they are chosen to be clues that require a level of intuition or induction. Um, that's more interesting than, hey, do you remember the capital of Slovenia, Nate? Mm-hmm. Um, it really is better if it's more like, uh, can, you, can you solve our tricky little riddle? And so often they will have some level of that. Um,
0: if you had six nightmare categories, what would they be? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess I already said ice hockey and country music. Those would definitely be there. Botany. Yeah, gardening. I think the lifestyle categories I'm not great at. Um, Honestly, corporate America, I'm really weak at. Like, I, I lost on the show with an H&R Block question because I had always done my own taxes. Like, I was not even aware of... I couldn't have told you who the great tax prep companies even were. Uh, and to this day, I'm not somebody who reads the business page first, and I'm very easy to fool with mergers and acquisitions and that kind of thing. Um,
0: was there any kind of trash talk that takes place before an episode, or are there elements to like psych people out?
1: There's very little of that. I mean, I, I would try not to, do, you know, because everyone there is a fan of the game, and there's a contestant staff kind of working to make you have a fun day and keep everybody lively, because it's very hard. People who can pass a very hard trivia test are not that great on TV, it turns out. So, in, so there's a contestant staff trying to keep everybody, you know, reasonably perky. And so given all that that's going on, you kind of forget that it's a zero-sum game, and you kind of feel like you're all a little, you know, you have Stockholm Syndrome. You feel like you're all in in it together. Um, So there's really not a lot of head games or whatever. Plus, imagine a a sport where everybody shares a locker room. The contestants are sequestered together like a jury. So you have to hang out with them all day. So you do kind of feel like a little team. Um, It was interesting in the recent tournament, like James Holzhauer... He's from the poker world, so he's very comfortable kind of putting on a, 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 like an air, a little bit of a, you know, he's got the, the game face. And he's a fan of pro wrestling, so he really likes the heel turn, you know, the kind of the, the bluster and the, oh, I'm going to get you, you know, the, ooh, yeah, you know, like he loves that kind of thing. And so it was fun to watch him do that in a game and on Twitter because nobody had ever seen it in Jeopardy before. Nobody had ever seen Jeopardy with social media trash talking in real time. And most people are not comfortable enough to play Jeopardy and do that at the same time. But if you get three people with some game experience, you can, you can do that. If they tried doing a live episode, would that be a total disaster? Or? ABC wanted to do the GOAT live. Okay. Like they really wanted it live. Um, and you can see why, you know, the yeah. anything can happen kind of a vibe. And Jeopardy! couldn't figure out how to make it work. Jeopardy! almost always tapes two-time. Like, a 30-minute show takes 30 minutes to tape. Even the commercials are in real time. They've got it down to a science after 37 years. But occasionally, they have to stop down, and it's usually game-material related, so it's really important. You know, if there's a Bible question and somebody rings in and says a different phrasing, they're going to have to go through dozens of Bible translations trying to find out if, oh, wow, okay. if, anybody, if there's any universe in which your answer is right because they want to err on the side of... So there's, there's essentially... How long can those pauses... Do you go to, like, the replay center in
0: Secaucus It's whatever?
1: exactly... Yeah, let's, go to, let's see what Mike thinks in New York. <laughs> That's exactly what happens, except Mike might be reading through a shelf full of 20 books, you know, like... Because uh, they want to make sure the call is absolutely right and not just, yeah, not enough to overturn. Um, they have a really high standard. So sometimes I... During the GO tournament, there was a stop down for 40 minutes because of an ambiguity about whether a highway turning into another highway could refer to both turning onto another highway or changing numbering and becoming another highway. And that ambiguity meant a 40-minute stop-down. And that would have been bad live on ABC.
0: So can you appeal and say, I think my answer is right?
1: Yeah, the good thing about there being a federal agency uh, overseeing this is there is an auditor you can talk to. You can say... Hey um uh, you know al, like i I think I said this, and they didn't you know the question must have been free, and nine times out of ten, the writers are at one step ahead of you, and they know that you're not right, but yeah, you can appeal you have a you have a little flag, basically.
0: There's a question here about the hardest question you've had to answer, but I want to reverse that. What's the easiest question that you missed?
1: Oh, that's really good sometimes it's just. Like so, I don't know. Like in the goat tournament, there was there was stuff I absolutely knew, and the right answer just appe- the wrong answer just appeared so seductively and large in front of me that I couldn't help but just grab it. Um, there was a question about Hearst Castle, like that San, San Simeon William Randolph Hurst Castle, and I immediately thought of uh, the name of the fictional version of Hearst Castle in Citizen Kane. And so I made it harder and said Xanadu, the, the fake Hearst Castle. When the you know the real one was very easy. I missed a question about the fir- the uh, jagged little pill, like the Alanis Morissette record. I said it was called You Ought to Know, which is the first single off the album. I mean these are things I, I used to know cold. But one thing about Jeopardy, is it's kind of a young person's game. Like you wanna, it's not like running backs hitting 30 and having to retire essentially. But <laughs> there is kind of a thing where in your 40s you just feel a li- you feel your recall getting a little slower every day, and I'm glad
0: I was on when I was 29. Is that true, the average Jeopardy champions in the 30s now, or? If you look at
1: who the really good Jeopardy champions are, they are almost always around 30. There's a sweet spot where you're old enough to know your parents' stuff still, but you're young enough that your memory hasn't, you you haven't had the flowers for Algernon thing of just getting a little dumber every day. Plus, you still know pop music. Like, you have to be young enough to know who Cardi B is still. And there's a very narrow sweet spot where you still know the old person stuff and the young person stuff.
0: Do you, did you do things, or do you do things to train your
1: memory, or? I don't have, like, Sherlockian memory palaces or whatever. I did do mnemonic devices when a fact was, like, the way to remember something, really, the only secret is to be interested in it. If you are curious about a thing, like, your memory works just fine. If there's something you're forgetting, it's because you don't care. Like, somebody with a bad memory also knows every word of their favorite song or every athlete on their favorite roster. Like, your memory is fine. So if you can get engaged in the thing, you will remember it. But for Jeopardy, you have to learn stuff that's boring. Like, you have to know that uh, John Quincy Adams was elected in 1824, and that's boring. So sometimes I would have to do a little mnemonic device about, for that one, I would imagine Quincy, the medical examiner of 70s TV, working a 24-hour shift. Quincy, 24, and then I could kind of get there. But that
0: takes longer than knowing it organically, obviously. Um, were you preparing specifically for, for Brad and James, for the goat show, and how, how'd that, how that differed from what you had done before. That's
1: actually a really interesting sports-like analogy that you don't normally get on Jeopardy. Normally, nobody knows who they're going to play. Even in a tournament, there's going to be some kind of random, semi-random seating. This was the only time where we knew months in advance who we were going to be playing. So you can look at tape. Like, uh, I know Brad went to a taping to watch James live because he wanted to see him click. He wanted to see how fast the lights came on and went off, you know. Uh, I was reduced to watching him on TV, but you really could watch him and study him and think... How do, you, how do you defend this, basically, in sports terms, you know? And, and in James's case, it really was, you have to become him. Like, there's no way to beat this guy without, he plays the game so perfectly that the only way to win is to play just like him. It's a Nietzschean thing where you have to stare into the abyss of those soulless James Holtzauer eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and become that. I mean, how much, of a, how much of a rivalry is there between the three of you? No, we're actually pretty good friends. I had James over for dinner last weekend. He, uh, oh. His family is, like, looking for a condo in Seattle, so we were hanging out. Um, we all actually get along really well, um, but that's a certain kind of privilege. You know, everybody at that tournament won a very nice prize, so we can afford
0: to be magnanimous. Um, I, let me see what else. I think I've asked most of these. What happens during the commercials? So it is like live to tape, basically? Yes, yeah, it's live to tape.
1: Like if a commercial is three minutes of uh, what, Gold's Bond powder or whatever they have on during Jeopardy, uh, <laughs> what are they trying to sell you? That weird insurance for old people, the cell phones with the big buttons.
0: Um, <laughs> no, when I was a preschooler watching Prices Right, I'm like, all these commercials are like for really old people, aren't they? Like <laughs> dentures and, cream and yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, so while that's going on, there are just three minutes stop down in studio, and Alex will take questions. And this is, the studio audience loves this because he is a delight. He's, um, on TV, he seems a little maybe stuffy or even smug because his job is to correct people, but that could not be further from the truth. He's very funny and loose and with age, he's kind of become your eccentric uncle who might say anything. So he will generously, you know, goof around with the audience for three minutes and then come back at the podium and pretend to be Alex. Would he be a good contestant? I think he would have been back in the day. Okay. You know, it, it's, in his late 70s, that's
0: a little past anybody's prime, but he knows his stuff. Um, if you're pausing for an answer, are you ever trying to show off a little bit? Or, I mean, is there any, like, bluffing in, in Jeopardy?
1: There's a poker guy named Alex Jacob who played Jeopardy. Yeah. James Holtzauer is a poker guy. There's a little yeah. bit of an overlap, and those guys do tend to be a little more theatrical and ham it up. I've seen Alex intentionally do the thing where he will look totally bewildered, just to kind of give some hope to his competitors, which he will then dash. You know, Alex will prompt him and he'll be like, what is uh, the Franco-Prussian War? You know, as if he didn't know. Uh, I don't do that much of that, but it's better
0: TV if you do, so I see the case for it. Um, I think this might be the last question we have time for. What changes would you make to Jeopardy if you could, or is it perfect?
1: That's really interesting. I mean, the secret of Jeopardy is kind of its perfection. People no longer watch it. People watch it as a matter of ritual, I think. Like, no one, no one likes or dislikes Jeopardy. It's just if you have become a Jeopardy person, that is what you do at 7.30 every night. Uh, you, you enjoy that it is the same pretty much to the second as it was in 1994 or 1984, or even in the Art Fleming era, the 60s and 70s. Like, the show gets angry letters if they change any little thing. <laughs> Um, It's a very change-averse audience, again, because they are denture-adhesive users. Uh, So it's really hard to say what would, uh, I feel like I should have a pitch, though. Uh,
0: Because there is, like, kind of, I mean, one thing about games and sports that survive is, like, there has to be kind of the right balance between luck and skill, right? Um, You know, if it's totally luck, I mean, I don't know, people, as we found out during your run, like, people actually like someone who is a nice guy and who's coming there and winning every time, but, you know, but you're not... I mean, did you have any sense, by the way, when you were in the win streak, like, for when it would end? Did you kind of at some point assume that you're going to just be Jeopardy! champion forever? Well, I I read an analysis
1: of my run on, I think it was 538 i think oh, it was yeah, yeah and they made the point that um, you know even a very good player with the odds of winning 97 or 98% of his games has an expected run of 40 or 50 games like really i was pushing the laws of probability to their breaking point and i knew that better than anybody because i had seen a dozen games where if one answer had gone differently i would have been i should have been gone um, so i knew that and I, I think you're right like the balance of luck and skill in jeopardy is almost perfect you the final Jeopardy conversion is calibrated to about 50%, so they have the right number of comebacks, the right number of amazing, you know, fourth-quarter comebacks, um, you know, falls from grace. Uh, I don't know what I would change. I, I, I don't like the sponsored categories. I don't like now when they make Alex say, and that Minions 2 will be coming out from Sony Pictures this weekend. <laughs> yeah. No synergy on Jeopardy. That's the only thing I would
0: change. Cool. Well, this was awesome. Great to, great to finally talk to you. Great audience, so...